This is Isaiah 1, verses 1 through 11, and it's the vision of Isaiah. Hear, O heavens, and give earth, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children, have I reared you, brought, have, have I reared and bought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring and evildoers, children who deal corruptly, for they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us, in, left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teachings of your God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beast. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of goats. The word of the Lord. Well, it is a weird time of year. Does anybody else feel like that? The days are suddenly really, really, really short. And even at my house, where we eat dinner pretty early, it's dark when we eat. Um, the weather is turning to winter, but sometimes days can't seem to make up its mind, right? We still get some warm days and we get some rainy days and snow, but it won't quite stay put. It's a time of year where we are thinking about preparation. We're all preparing for winter. Hopefully you have taken care of your leaves by now. It is time to put the rakes away and find the snow shovels. Make sure your snow brush is in the car. Where is that box of hats and gloves and is the snowblower working? Do I have enough salt? Do I have enough bird seed? We prepare to finish a year. Did we hit our numbers at work? Did we accomplish our goals this year? Suddenly those New Year's resolutions are in our minds again that we had forgotten in February and we wonder if maybe next year we'll do a little bit better. We plan for a new year. When will we take vacation? Where will we go? What are we forecasting to do at work next year? And we prepare for Christmas. 
What will I buy? Where will I buy it? How much am I willing to pay for it? How, what am I getting for so-and-so? Where will we spend Christmas and New Year's? Whose house will we go to first? It is a time of year of planning and preparation. As we make our plans, do we pay attention to God? Do we ask God his will or what his plans are, or do we pay little attention to God? As if we mean to say, God, we'll see you Christmas Eve. Oh, we go to church, right? This is the one time of year you're really supposed to go. But is our heart in it? Is our mind really present? Or are we just going through the motions? Are we writing on the side of our bulletin the things we need to do this week or the things we need to shop for? Or are we really, truly present with God? i got to admit that my first couple years as a pastor, I think I just missed Christmas. I don't know if you've done this before, but you get so busy doing Christmas that you don't experience Christmas for yourself. And all of a sudden, it's Christmas Eve, and you think, my goodness, I missed the whole real important part of this. Our December worship reminds me a lot of the Israelites during the prophetic ministry of Isaiah. When Isaiah comes on the scene, Israel is in trouble. In fact, there are two nations at this point, Israel and Judah. And there are these other nations around them that are growing in strength, Assyria and then eventually the Babylonians. And uh, if Israel was together, they probably have no shot. But Israel as a divided nation has absolutely no shot. Those people are going to come and forcefully move them out, kill many of them, and spread them out among the empire so that they cannot ever rebel again. And uh, the people of Israel are going to nearly lose themselves, lose their identity, and lose their hope. Later they will be allowed to return, but Israel will be just a, a small sample of what it used to be. This early part, the very beginning of Isaiah, is written before the exile. And it is talking about, Isaiah is talking about the problems that Israel is having that are going to lead to this devastation. And what he, Isaiah starts out right off the bat in the book saying is, all the bad stuff that's coming to you, you ask for. Okay, all the bad stuff that was happening, you brought on yourselves. Listen to the phrases that were just read. Rebelled. Sinful nation, laden with iniquity, evildoers, deal corruptly, have forsaken God, despise the Holy One of Israel. Pretty strong fighting words by Isaiah. The country will lie desolate, and they will still not return to the Lord. And it is only by grace that any of Israel is left standing in the end. And then listen to these key words in verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. See, Israel's been doing all the stuff they're supposed to do, quote-unquote. Okay? They've kept the cult up. They've kept the religion up. They've kept the sacrifices going. And yet, Isaiah says, you're going through the motions. God does not ultimately care about the sacrifice. He doesn't need the blood of all these bulls. What he wants is your heart. He cares about you. But because your worship is not heartful, your relationship with God is not right, and your treatment of other people is not right, and therefore 
you're heading for disaster. If Isaiah was written today, God might have said something like, I have had enough of your hymns and prayers. I do not delight in your Advent wreaths or your liturgy or your Christmas lights. But Isaiah is not only a book of warning and wrath. God's response to Israel is twofold. Yes, there will be judgment, but there will also be promise. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah. Yes, Isaiah says, you're going to have to lead your land. Judgment is coming, but on the other side of judgment, also hope. A child is going to be born. This child will be named Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. He's going to be good, and he's going to choose good. God has not abandoned you, Israel, in your pain and in your suffering. He is with you, and one day will be with you in a way you don't even understand yet. Now, we don't read Isaiah a lot. We don't read Isaiah a lot in the church. Okay, these may be some pretty new passages for you. We don't like all this destruction and evildoers and iniquity kind of passages. But there's one time of year that we do get some of these prophets out. And that is Advent. The four weeks leading up to Christmas. And as I already told the kids, Advent means coming. But it doesn't just mean that, that Christmas is coming. It means in this larger sense that we are expecting that just like Jesus came one time in a manger in the past, in the future he's going to come again. And in fact, not just in the future, but in the present, in our lives. And so part of what we do in Advent is we, we, we identify with Israel's longing for this. Just like they are longing for Emmanuel to come when they're going through so much, when they're in exile, when they come back and yet they're under the authority of the Romans still. We long for Jesus to come in our lives. It's similar to Lent, which builds up to Easter, only Lent is much more of a time where we are repentant and penitent and we fast. Advent has a little bit different tone. It's a little more... Uh, positive. It's a little more excited. It's a little more uh, sort of building in its encouragement. Um, and that's why we use words like hope, peace, joy, and love, like you see on the banners, because it's this building towards, it's a season of expectation, a season of longing, where we light another candle every week so that as we see the candles light up, we know that Christ is coming and we somehow feel God at present in our lives. Traditionally, the church did not sing any Christmas carols in Advent. Did you know that? Traditionally, the church did not sing Christmas carols in Advent. You sang Advent songs in Advent until you got to Christmas and then you broke up the hymnal and there was this excitement. I mean, imagine waiting four weeks for Christmas music. 
in the building and you sing these sort of songs. And how many of you can admit you don't really like Advent songs that much, right? Okay, because they're, they're like, they're in minor keys and they're sort of lilting and longing, you know, um, because that's, that's how Advent was. We don't do that anymore because uh, Walmart's been playing Christmas songs for like three weeks, right? <laughs> And uh, by the time Christmas would come around, we'd, we'd get sick of them, or some of you can listen to them all year long, I guess. Um, but I like to still keep one Sunday of Advent, maybe one and a half, to remind us of this expectation. We like expectation, right? It's part of what we, it's something we like. We, we don't like waiting. It's different. We don't like waiting, but we like expectation. Let me give you a couple examples. How many of you have ever turned on the show, The Antique Road Show? You know what I'm talking about? It's got to be one of the most boring shows, right? <laughs> you're just, you're watching this, these people. With, but, but if you turn on The Antique Road Show, you have to finish, right? You have to see what it is and how much it's worth. Like, you can't not. I mean, you have to really quick change the channel before you see the next thing, okay? The, the more modern example is Pawn Stars. You know the pawn shop? And people bring stuff in. You have to wait. It's the expectation. Um, home renovation shows are like that. You know what's going to happen, but you still want to see it sort of play out. Or One of my favorites, my, my family a couple of years ago got really into this show, Finding Bigfoot. Do you remember that show? It's still around. It's like nine seasons of it. And, and they, this crew goes out, and they scientifically look for Sasquatch. And they hear stories, and they listen for sounds. And I, I used to tell my family, like, they're not going to find Bigfoot. Like, if they found Bigfoot, we would see it on the news. It wouldn't be on this show, right? We have nine seasons of not finding Bigfoot. But we watch it, and when they would watch it, I would watch it too, because of the anticipation, right? Maybe this time they'll see it, right? Maybe this time. We don't like to wait, but we like a little bit of anticipation. And there's something special about Advent that builds the anticipation for Christmas. The problem is we, we don't Advent. The problem is we jump right into Christmas music, we jump right into Christmas, and we miss this sense of longing. So by the time we get to Christmas Eve, it's almost like we're tired of it. It's like we survive Christmas season instead of really engaging in it and our souls all the stores have been playing Christmas music, not to get us in the Christmas spirit, but to get us in the buying spirit, in the shopping spirit. And I worry that we've lost Advent. Do you remember the, the book or the movie, and there's now a new one I haven't seen yet, of, of The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? I haven't gotten to watch the new one yet. I'm dying to. Um, but the story is a classic Dr. Seuss where the Grinch wants to stop Christmas from coming. So he sneaks down to Whoville, and, and he has, why does he hate Christmas so much? Everybody remember? His heart is two sizes too small. Okay? And he goes down, and he steals all their Christmas decorations as if he could eliminate Christmas if he just stole it away. Of course, it doesn't work. And in the morning, everybody gets up and they don't have anything, but they still have Christmas spirit. And so the Grinch's heart is changed and he goes down and brings everybody Christmas. You know how else the, Christmas, the Grinch sort of could have stole Christmas? The Grinch could have stolen Advent. 
If Grinch had just taken away Advent, then it would have in some way seriously diminished Christmas and the Christmas spirit. Because we wouldn't go through that sense of longing. And Christmas would not seem so bright, so joyful, and so meaningful. Unfortunately, I wonder if that's exactly what's happened to us. I think we are in serious danger of losing Advent. Losing an Advent spirituality and with it, diminishing the value of Christmas. So it becomes an economic holiday and not a Christian holiday. And I mourn the loss of Advent. And I'm here proclaiming today that whether you like it or not, on at least this first Sunday, we're going to sing songs like uh, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence and O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because we need to be reminded of Advent. It's why every year I'm going to preach an Advent sermon and try to call you back to it, because, because we can't go through the motions of worship. Isaiah would warn us of how dangerous that is, that we need to engage. And Advent is our holy rebellion. It's not a season to get through. It's a perspective to be taken as Christmas approaches. It's not just a build-up for Christmas. It's a spiritual posture to strive for all year long, that we are longing for Jesus to come, that we are expecting Jesus to show up in the future, but also in our lives and also in our worship. Do you really want Jesus to come? Really? Do you want more than anything else for Jesus to come? Because that is the good news of Advent. That wrongs will be righted, that brokenness will be healed, that poverty will be obliviated, that lost people will be found, that hatred would be removed. And in our world that is a message we desperately, desperately need to hear. And we don't know how and we don't know when, but we know and we live in hope. Not a sappy Pollyanna kind of hope. Not a ridiculous over-the-top hope, but steady, real hope. Longing hope that Christ is with us and will be with us anew in the future. Pastor was preparing for his Advent and Christmas services and was very busy. He worked hard into the evening and his daughter came to see him. Daddy, she said. And she had to say daddy a couple times to get him to look away from what he was doing. Daddy, will you play with me? He smiled, but feeling the crunch of his work, said, Honey, I have a lot of work to do. Little girl was not happy with that answer. She said to him, Daddy, if you play with me, I will give you a great big hug, the biggest hug you have ever had. Well, the pastor could not turn down such an offer. He told her, I'll make you a deal. Let me work for one more hour, and then I will stop, and we will play together. She quickly answers, sounds like a deal, Dad. And as she goes out the door to leave, she turns back to him, runs back over, practically jumps up on top of him and gives him the biggest hug he has ever had. When she's done, he says to her, Honey, you said you would give me that hug when we played. She looked at him with all the innocence that only a child can have and said, I know, Daddy. I just wanted you to know what you had to look forward to. (laughs) Listen, that's Advent. That's Advent. That there's this bigger storyline going on that Christ is coming, that Christ will someday be with us. 
And it's time for us in Advent to look up from our busyness and see what we have to look forward to. And I don't just mean Christmas, I mean Christ at work in our lives and in our world that someday will be unrivaled. Emmanuel, God with us, is still with us and will be with us again in a special and real way sometime in the future. Advent is this weird time where we're looking beyond our current realities and find hope that something bigger is going on. So my prayer for you is that, you, that the Grinch does not steal your Advent, but that you can experience Advent so that your Christmas will be all the sweeter, so that your life will be all the richer. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this season of Advent. Prepare our hearts to be a manger, that you would live in us, that you would work in us. Let our church be a stable, that you would be present, that people would come to find you here. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.